I want to set the stage for the potential of freedom, the potential of of limitation of liberation that you know this practice can provide. Can you imagine, you know, enduring something really difficult um, or doing something really awful? And then at some point in your life, recognizing that as a part of a tapestry that was designed for the contribution of beauty in the world, if that's possible, mm-hmm. you know, what, what would you be willing to do? Welcome to Jess on the Mountain podcast about yoga, chakras, and becoming your own guru. I'm Jess Goulding, and today we are in the realm of chakra four, anahata, the heart chakra. Anahata is usually translated from the Sanskrit as unstruck, like the silence of the heart space, the nature of the heart as clean and unharmed, regardless of the life it's lived. But here we are living life. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, and it's important to live this one precious life as fully as we can, learning about ourselves, building relationships, celebrating the highs and transforming the lows. We are embodied. And as a reminder, this season of Jess on the Mountain is looking at every chakra through the lens of embodiment. I feel so strongly that we all deserve to feel at home in our bodies and see them as beautiful vessels of spirit, awakening, and connection. It's with this in mind that I created the online course, Chakra Savvy Embodiment. Harness the energy of Chakra One and set a new foundation built on connection, gratitude, and trust in the world. It's available on the courses page of my website and at jessgoulding.com slash embodiment. I also link to it in the show notes, so be sure, though, and use the coupon code PODCAST and receive $5 off your purchase. So here we are in the heart, the gateway between the upper and lower chakras. The color is green, the element is air, and the realm of relationships and love, including romantic, platonic, familial, and self. Anytime we're in a relationship such as these, there will be conflict. There could be real harm done, even trauma inflicted. And our guest today is no stranger to the harm one can do to another. If you are in a mental or spiritual place where topics that brush on personal harm and violence are difficult to bear, I encourage you to allow yourself to skip this episode or listen alongside someone you trust. Please tune into your wisdom and follow its advice. Now, I'm very excited and happy to introduce Emily J. Hooks to our podcast. She is indeed a valuable guide on our trek up and around this mountain of life. She works in the field of forgiveness, which I consider a beautiful way to embody the energy of the heart chakra and to love well. Welcome, Emily. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So you're here to talk to us about embodying forgiveness. And I ask you to come on this episode because when I read your book, The Power of Forgiveness, A Guide to Healing and Wellness, and I read in it some of your personal story, I couldn't believe you came to a place where you truly understand and understood the heart, self-love, accountability, and forgiveness so amazingly well. So as you say, 
you lived your first 30 plus years of your life trying to manage your emotional and spiritual pain. Your childhood, like many, was filled with trauma and fear. And you didn't earn a PhD or study human behavior for 20 years to get to where you are today. You relentlessly forgave, which is a phrase I absolutely love and and you embodied. You relentlessly forgave. And as a result, everything in your life transformed. You chose to move through the pain you carried and let go of your limiting beliefs about who you were and what the world was like. In 2003, you were destitute. You lost everything, including the people who mattered most. Then you had a moment of awakening. As if being played out on a movie screen before you, you could see your entire life unfold. Something deep within you changed that day and self-compassion emerged. At that moment, you vowed not to live a tragic life. You vowed first to survive and later to thrive. Today, your promise is to contribute as fully as you can for as long as you are able. And you've spent the last decades focused on a healing journey centered on forgiveness. You studied spiritual and religious texts from around the globe. You studied psychology, theory, and practice. Most importantly, you forgave everyone who ever caused you harm. You forgave yourself for the pain you had caused. You claim that through this work, we can all find love, compassion, and empathy for others. It is possible to both mourn the loss of what was not and fully embrace what is and what was, accepting that struggle against the past only causes more suffering. This is your first book, The Power of Forgiveness, published in 2017. And today you share your story of a message of healing through forgiveness. One of your favorite things to do is facilitate workshops and seminars because you get to see that aha moment in people's eyes. Now, I absolutely love that too. And we're going to hear about these workshops and how to access those, right? And a light bulb goes off when we can finally see why we resisted our own healing for so long. You believe we heal. You believe as we heal, the world heals. And I couldn't agree more. It's actually something that we say. You believe that as the as we heal, the world heals. So one of many things that I loved about reading your book is that it's so yogic in its lessons and perspectives. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I have I've been dog years like for 30 I, years, so I hope it is. <laughs> well, and you're a yoga student as well. Are you still practicing, by the way? Uh, I practice on my own mm-hmm. these days. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a, a yo-yo practitioner. But I have yo-yo been doing yogi. it for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yo yeah. Uh, my first yoga class was at a unity church in Dallas, I think in 1991. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a long time practice. Eventually, you get to a point where like, I know what I want. I'm going to my mat. Yeah. Got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on this uh, this first part that I'm going to read to you, like all over the place, yeah. I just, there's so many things where I was like, yes, this is what I mean. This is what she said. So I'm going to read you a little bit from the introduction. I mean, okay, great. like right away, I'm highlighting. So this is, in the beginning, you say, all healing takes place in the present moment and in the heart. Those are the only two conditions we need to heal, being present and feeling love. Mm, Sounds so simple, doesn't it? (laughs) Right. Until you try it. (laughs) Yeah, I would have thought forgiveness was a process of the past, but here you put it right there in the present. I'm wondering if you could talk more about those two conditions, the 
Yeah. Why do why do we need to be present and why is it in the heart or feeling love? Why is feeling love such a part of it? Yeah. Um we spend a lot of our lives in a different space than being present to what is. Um, it's. I would say most people spend most of their lives thinking about what they need to do, thinking about the future or the past, and you know those are valuable activities. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those, um, but the the trigger that initiates a healing process is presence. So, and it's very, it's very simple and also can sound quite esoteric uh, until you just do it once and then you say, okay, so that's what it means. It's just a moment of stillness. Um, it's, you know, getting oriented in the space that you are. It's basically what yoga gifts people with, the capacity to become present and still in their body and in their space. And until that condition is met, um, authentic healing, and don't get me wrong, there's there's nothing wrong with learning about healing. That's usually the first part of the process is recognizing dysfunction within ourselves and learning about what that means and the implications for it. All of those things are valuable activities, but the healing itself starts when we become present. And when we become present, what we often find if we're um, recovering from difficult past experiences is um, um, a heart that uh, aches. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, what causes that aching is the presence of love. But it's not, you know, when we say be present and be in the heart space, that sounds really, really lovely. But oftentimes when we're starting a recovery process, it's not a particularly euphoric feeling. <laughs> you know, we're just like we've been avoiding our body for a long time for a reason. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, it's one of those things that you step into and step out of and step into and step out of just like yoga. Just like practice, you know, you do it until it's until your body tells you not to, and then you and then you yield, uh, and then you come back and do it again. That's why forgiveness is a practice; it's a discipline. Uh, um, so, yeah. And so you're saying that you know, if you have to be present and feel love, then that sounds to me like there is a default of love when you're in presence. I think so. Yeah. I yes, I think that when we experience that momentary centeredness or stillness, um the, our natural condition is one of love. That's what, you know, that's what radiates from our core naturally. Yeah, you have a, a really great way of kind of leading people into that and giving them the experience because a lot of us, you know, we might go, yeah, I know what you mean, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, but what do you mean? What do you really mean? How would you describe Right, anahata, that that heart space, the 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 quiet in there. Um, you know, anahata means unstruck. So there's this place inside of us that is at its nature unharmed, but it's also when it's unstruck, there is no sound. There hasn't been sound. Yeah. 
And so I'd love to hear your description of what that is that we can, you know, it's, it's just helpful to hear for, through so many different voices, yeah. what that is and how, how you might facilitate someone accessing that inner Absolutely. stillness. You know, the first time I, I realized I hadn't been still, um, it was probably the mid-90s, maybe 94, 95. And there was a big winter storm. I was living just outside of Conroe, Texas. And my, at the time, I had a, a young son. We were living with my grandparents in one of the pine forests down there, for those who are familiar with the area. And there was a huge winter storm that came through. And all of the electricity went out. And obviously, there, were, there was no movement outside as far as humans. I was laying under six six inches of heavy country blankets. And... <laughs> um, I, I just realized there was there was nothing resonating off of my body. There was no sound, except for about, you know, every few minutes, you'd hear this really dramatic creaking and then a crash of limbs falling from trees. Um, and I was thinking about that. And I would imagine in the last couple of years, a lot more people have had that experience because we've had two storms in the last few years, uh, you know, in, here in Texas, um, where there, there was no electricity, there was no, there was no ambient sound around us. And, you know, I think oftentimes we, we get still enough to experience something like that, and then we quickly move out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage people, you know, if you're warm and safe the next time, Try try marinating it in a little bit because that lack of resonance really does teach us what stillness can be. And of course, you can reach it through meditation, uh, but a lack of ambient sound sort of uh, provides a frame of reference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, in one of my previous podcasts, I talk about fifth chakra and silence and sound and those how those two things kind of go up against each other and how often silence. Um, can be scary. It can be noisy. Like it can feel loud. It's like a deep presence of lack, you know. And mm. um, I spent a good amount of time avoiding silence because, yeah. you know, as soon as everything gets quiet, well, then I can hear my thoughts. And my gosh, they don't shut up. They keep going, 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 going. <laughs> You're talking about a moment where even those thoughts become quiet, where yeah. really you drop into that quiet of the heart. Yeah. Um, well, or they don't. I think. I think that's also the practice is, you know, so there's a lack of resonant sound in, in our environment. And then whatever is, is, you know, and then we see the internal noise. And if that's where we're starting from, that's okay, too. Uh, I think the practice really is not moving away from it uh, without consciousness. Obviously, we're going to move away from it at some point, but even, you know, two seconds of conscious presence in that space with whatever is, is a profound movement towards mm -hmm. healing. And another conversation we've had, you've mentioned that, you know, you can practice being there, you know, maybe meditating on the heart or just we keep coming back to the heart, those practices of dropping down to the heart, of taking our place and put, put, putting ourselves into a silence, like you know, cell phones are off, TVs are off, as silent as one can make it in a noisy world, mm -hmm. um, which which is which is can be very difficult, is difficult in the beginning, but with practice it gets easier. But then you've also mentioned that sometimes there's just like a moment where you have it, like you had that 
um, that you described in the winter. And then in your book, I love this moment that um, it was just, it was your mo- moment of awakening. And I think a lot of us can resonate with having that moment that if we wrote it down, we'd be like, things were different after that point, mm-hmm. you know, and often it's not a, one of our favorite moments. It's, yeah, that, you that know, was it's an like, awful moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in yours, you, you describe it so beautifully. You say, I saw my life from afar. At the time, I realized I was going to die, having only lived a tragic life. My family was going to bury me, and the only thing they would have had to say was how sad my life had been. At that moment, a compassion for self I had never felt emerged. The darkness pulled back, and an awareness of my torment peeked through. Then and there, I resolved to survive. I resolved to liberate myself from suffering and live a life filled with the joy and gratitude that broke free in me that day. Something broke free in you. Yes. Can you call that feeling back as needed? Or is that, is that still a moment that um, kind of resonates with you as a, as a learning moment or have you had so many awakenings since then that it's just get in line folks? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, absolutely. That, that. um, uh, that moment uh, is present for me today, as are other profound moments that I've had since then. Um, yeah, I I can I can become present to that absolutely. You know, um, I will say I sounded, you know, pretty fancy when I wrote that, and and <laughs> and it's true. It's every word of that is is the truth of my experience, and more of the truth of my experience, you know, just so, you know, we're sure we're all the same creature here, is one of practice, coming back to self-compassion, coming back to the truth of being messy and fallible and challenged. You can't live through the types of traumas that many of us have lived through and not stumble sometimes. So, um, yeah. I think that's the biggest lesson from that, uh, from that time is just, you know, um, whoever I am today is who I am today. And that's, that's who I'm going to love. Yeah. That, that freight, that joy and gratitude broke free. Like you, it's almost like, um, it was there all the time. It was just in imprisoned and it broke out and you got to experience this self-compassion, which is one of those two things that need to be present for forgiveness. We have presence and love, right? So that love, out it comes. And now you have the medicine needed for this healing. Yes. Yeah. You know, prior to that, prior to that moment, I, without being, without having any context for it, uh, believed that um, my state of suffering and everything that happened Uh, as a result of that, was a reflection of who I was, Um, that that was inherent to my, to me. Um, And so that the magic of of that moment is, you know, you know, for those people who believe in uh, a higher power or a greater presence, it's sort of being able to see yourself through those eyes um, and, and recognizing my humanity and um um yeah and my tenderness i had to be tough you know mm-hmm. as a result of uh 
just a really difficult childhood. So, yeah, and but that and the, but the I would wonder: does it take just as much toughness and courage to go ahead and live that, live into that self compassion? You know, like it's obstinance uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> obstinate. Yeah, <laughs> I don't lack for obstinance. Um, yeah, you know, it. I'll tell you what takes courage. It takes courage to stand up in the world you've been living in for 30 years and say, I'm not going to be that anymore and, and insist because the world around you will insist that you stay the same. They don't mean to, but it's just, it's just the human condition. We want, we want, you know, we want the world to be predictable and the people in our world to be predictable, even if it's, not the best version of them. Um, so yeah, that takes a lot of courage. Um, and it it's it's um it requires making sometimes really difficult choices about, you know, what you're going to allow in your environment, at least temporarily, while you build the strength of conviction to determine who you're gonna be. It yeah, you're setting a whole new foundation or, or like neural pathways in the brain patterns and yeah. how you operate and how you see like patterns are so inviting to default back to just like yeah. you said like our communities expect this thing of us we can just default to it because it is a struggle to overcome you know what your patterning is what your habits are what was instilled in you what you were told what you are told absolutely you know, undoing any kind of patterning like that, it just takes such amazing effort. And then in yoga, we always talk about balancing with surrender, right? Yeah, it's like that absolutely. surrendering to that love that you found and get letting that help feed the courage that you have to keep pushing against the patterns. Yeah, absolutely. Like I love that. It is. It is a yin and yang of, you know, surrender and effort. I talk uh, a lot in the book about non-resistance um, as, as a way to uh, illustrate that dynamic um, uh, force of yielding and uh, moving forward. Um, because the minute we set our mind to what the next thing is going to look like, we are just a tiny bit off of the path. Ooh, ooh, say that again. <laughs> you know, the minute you know, the minute we think we know what's about to happen, you yeah. know, what's best. Mm. You know, we can, we can, we can envision what we think might be best. But if something else shows up, my advice would be to consider that that might be what's best. Oh yeah, I do not like hearing that. <laughs> I fully believe it, and yet it's like, golly, but what? The, anyway, I could go off on that all day. Especially like, when, especially when things are hard. You know, it's just like, you know, you just have to surrender to those times and you know and that is not a popular message let me tell you people yeah. these days really want to say you can think your way out of anything and i don't believe that to be true i think you know if you want to stay in a very narrow lane that that might be a feasible way to live life but if you're really open to what the universe is offering or what the potential of life might be for the more secular listeners um, it's it's going to be jarring sometimes. It just is. That's just what life looks like. You say um, many very interesting things about forgiveness. 
what it is and what it isn't. Um, for example, absolute forgiveness is the state in which we perceive without doubt that there is nothing to forgive. That one yes. I had to read like three times. <laughs> absolute forgiveness is the state in which we perceive without doubt that there is nothing to forgive. That makes me squirm. Yeah. Make our listeners just... squirm. Like, what do you, if I'm willing to forgive, but there's nothing to forgive? Tell me more about that. Well, you know, you don't want to get the cart before the horse. Um, so I, I, I start the book with that um, because I, I want to set the stage for the potential of freedom, the potential of, of, limita- of liberation that, you know, this practice can provide. Can you imagine, you know, enduring something really difficult um, or doing something really awful? And then at some point in your life, recognizing that as a part of a tapestry that was designed for the contribution of beauty in the world, you know, can you, you know, that's really, really hard to imagine, but. Almost saintly. Yeah. But if, if that's possible, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what would you be willing to do? Yeah. You know, would you be willing to feel that pain fully? Would you be you know willing to empathize? All for the good? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the work of forgiveness, it's painful. And it's it asks things of us that we don't, might not naturally want to do. Um, and so, you know, just imagine the possibilities. Um, and it's really important to know you can do a lot of work and experience a lot of freedom and never be expected. There's nothing external to you telling you that you have to accept that everything, you know, that there's nothing to forgive. If you, if you, if it's important to you mm-hmm. to hold on to the fact, your fact, that this one thing that happened or series of things that happened will always need to be forgiven. You can still do a lot of work in that in that space. It's not you don't have to reach absolute forgiveness and and in order to find freedom and liberation and um, you know to 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 one degree or another. So it's important to know that. Yeah, that's actually very empowering because what you're doing is placing forgiveness kind of on a spectrum. Yeah, you know, of like at one end is absolute forgiveness. You're like, there's nothing to forgive. This is this is part of the path. This is part of what made me me. And so I, I will not reject it. And then the other side, which is full on, I can't think about it. I can't look at it. I can't forgive. I'm not ready to even open that little box at all. Yeah. And we get to kind of as you're, it sounds like you're saying through the process, choose where we want to be at any moment on that spectrum. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I'm not sure if we get to choose where we're going to be on the spectrum. I will say that that the, the the experience of absolute forgiveness is usually fairly relevatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there is a point at which you become confounded about how the how the resentment served a purpose, and then you realize you have a revelation that there's nothing to forgive. I see. Um, 
but the, it, forgiveness is a spectrum and 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 it is also a choice you know there's nothing i don't teach forgiveness as a moral obligation i don't think i don't think that's a particularly helpful framework unless it is for you you know if you have if you have a moral orientation and a community that supports you in that and you can truly engage in the healing work of forgiveness then using that as as a impetus is fine um, but I also, I personally believe, and I think it's important for people to know that choosing not to forgive is a valid choice. It's, um, it's okay. You know, if, if, if hearing about forgiveness makes, feels violent to you or feels unfair, um, I can tell you all day long that it, that it's not about fairness, that it's not about justice, that it's liberating for you. But if that feels painful or unfair to you, then it's not for you to do right now. There are a lot of ways to experience tenderness and compassion and move towards healing in the world. And maybe someday in the future, it will become an activity in which you want to engage. What you say sounds like what love would say. <laughs> love would say, you, however you are right now is perfectly beautiful, right, and fine. Yeah. This is an invitation, but you don't you don't go to every party you're invited to. You don't go to every event. You don't go to every meeting. So decide, choose. Maybe today you work with it a little bit. Maybe tomorrow you're like, no, I'm still pissed or still in that space. That's right. Right. I just hear love from you, which is so um it 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 makes the invitation more enticing mm. to me personally, just to speak. Yeah you know, personally about that. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned it's a, it's a choice. It's a, it's a, it's a discipline, like forgiveness as a discipline, like having to show up and do it almost again and again, or chip away at it in little pieces. Yeah. Um, so it's really the most common understanding or belief about forgiveness is that it's something that you'll have to work on forever. And I, mm -hmm. I don't actually believe that's true. Um, I don't need to go back and forgive my father or my mother again uh, because I I fully forgave them and I, I reached that place of being able to integrate our experiences, our, our experiences as souls together on this planet um, into this experience of life for me. But if uh, if my mother does something that reminds me of the mother who caused harm to the little girl I used to be, I'm, I, I might experience, and I'm not a fan of the word trigger. <laughs> I think it's way overused. Um, but I might experience a remembrance of the resentment that I hadn't processed. Yeah. And it's a really powerful tool to recognize that you've already done the work. Because then you can say, I'm not that little girl. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not vulnerable or unsafe in the presence of most other people, right? I am a grown human being with my own volition. I can walk out of any room I want to. Um, I can say goodnight. I love you. I'll talk yeah. to you tomorrow. <laughs> you have, yeah, I you have, have autonomy go. that you didn't have then. This is, this yeah. is, no, that's, it's kind of coming back to that presence piece. When you're yeah. present, like if I'm right here right now, I know I'm not the little girl that was done harm. Yeah. The the memory comes, but it has a place to go. Yeah. It has a home 
that is not right here, right now in this particular body and moment. And also the other thing that happens that causes people to think that they need to do more work or they haven't done the work is, so forgiveness is about the way we are today, not the way things have been in the past. So let me, let me see if I can explain that. So first of all, it's not about the action. And I'll, I'll illustrate to prove that. If, if you're walking down the street and a stranger walks up to you and stomps on your foot, you don't instantaneously develop deep resentment or contempt for that person, even though they've done something wrong to you. You probably think that person is probably not well. You and you and I, Jess, would have compassion for the person. We would experience concern for their well-being, right? Other people might punch them. You know, there are a lot of valid responses. Um, but what we wouldn't do is feel like we needed to forgive them because there is no intent to harm there. And I would venture to say that there is usually that usually the intent to harm is not about the person being harmed. Certainly, people do things intentionally to hurt other people. Uh, and we're about to step on the the very cliche expression, hurt people, hurt people. But it's true. Yeah. You know, you know, if you know, i'm I'm not going to intentionally cause harm in the world because I'm not I'm not suffering actively. You know, I don't need to I don't need to prove a point about how broken I am, which is what motivates most people to cause harm in the world. So it's not about the action and it's not about what happened to us then. Then it's about the way we are today. So imagine for a minute that you have perfect relationships and that you have no financial stress stress and that your kids are doing great and your parents are fine or they've moved on. You know, everything in your life is what you might describe as harmony. Do you have the experience of needing to forgive someone? No. You don't? No. Because everything that happened up until this point led you to exactly where you want to be. It was a contribution. So what happens is we do the work and we're moving along, feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then we do something, we act like an asshole or we fail at achieving something we set out to do. And we do the very human thing of looking for blame. Mm, yeah. And it's usually, we usually know exactly who that is, right? It's mom or dad or ex or whatever, you know? Yeah. And if that story has been ingrained well enough in us, we will go back to that every single time. Things aren't the way we want them to be. It's just, it's almost like a developmental hiccup. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we sort of, rather than continuing to evolve into our own accountability and our own responsibility for what life looks like, we default, and we all do it. I still do it. Sure, that's what patterns are. To wanting to blame, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, many of us, by the way, including myself, could internalize that. So, uh, of course, it's me. Uh, well, you yeah. blame yourself. Yeah, it, the blame exactly. turns back. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
I that's the role that I played, you know, yeah. in in my family. So it's you know, I I I love to be the the, the martyr. <laughs> Not really. Don't get me <laughs> no, wrong. I don't. Nobody loves. That. Yeah. 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 But that but, that description. It's yeah. interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I put blame in fifth chakra. I'm not the only one. It's a it's a throat issue. Like mm-hmm. it it's like something's coming up and it has to come out. And if it comes out, um, in a more poisonous way, it's going to come out as a blame, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or it could come up from the heart and come out loving, right? So, but that we get choked by blame. The love of the heart gets choked off at the throat when we need to seek out something or someone to blame. Yes. Um, energetically i can i can absolutely see that and understand it you know it's the the origin of the energy is still in the heart um there's just a transmutation that happens on its way out the body <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and often blame does show up verbally you know so but that self blame then it turns back on itself that's going to pour back down and cause heart damage mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know, on a hot or thyroid dis- disorder thyroid yeah yeah, well, that yeah, thyroid from the fifth and down to the thymus and the heart. Yeah, yeah. it can set off a whole chain of events. Absolutely. Amazing. You mean you named a couple things also that um, forgiveness is not. It's not condoning unfair or unacceptable behavior. So you can forgive without condoning. Um, like you, and you mentioned a lack of justice, a sign of weakness. That's one that comes up. You know, if we have. You know, we have friends that have pride or ourselves, perhaps, then that forgiveness piece looks like weakness. Yeah. I mean, you can correlate that to, you know, being compassionate um, in the world, um, tenderness, um, being forgiving. Um, uh, And there is an acceptance of a level of vulnerability in that mm. that i believe should be a choice um and it's valid not to make it for some people i think if you live in an unsafe environment um uh, but um that's not weakness right because the reality is choosing to be forgiving and compassionate in the world is very brave. Choosing to feel the pain of our experiences is brave. Um, So there's nothing weak about it. Yeah. And also the reality is in true conflict, the stillness of love always wins, right? There's a fierceness to that love and to, relentless forgiving that is um, immovable. Friends, we'll leave this conversation here for now, contemplating this fierce, immovable love that is the foundation of relentless forgiveness. And we'll pick it up again next week with part two. Emily's book, The Power of Forgiveness, A Guide to Healing and Wholeness, is available at all the major booksellers and is linked in the show notes. Emily has generously shared with us access to her audible audiobook, The Power of Forgiveness, for free. 
Simply contact her through her website, emilyjhooks.com, and request an audio version of this powerful book. If this conversation has you wondering about your heart chakra balance, or any other chakra or chakras, and you'd like to engage in some self-study, you can go to my website, jessgoulding.com slash podcast, and take the three-question chakra savvy quickie quiz, or download the journaling prompts and guided centering with the Chakra Check-In Self-Assessment. Both of these tools are free and designed to help you become your own chakras guru on your own mountain journey. May you practice relentless forgiveness as you embody the deep love and self-compassion of Anahata. I'll see you next week for the rest of our conversation with Emily J. Hooks. Much love. Mm -hmm.